Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey guys, this is Gabby Douglas. If you have an active lifestyle like me, hydration is key. That's why I love the Hydration Watermelon Smoothie from Smoothie King. Blended with whole fruits, coconut water, and more electrolytes than some of the leading sports drinks, Hydration Watermelon is the cleaner way to hydrate with no artificial colors, flavors, or preservatives. So you can recover and perform at your peak ability during the summer heat. Order online or through the app for pickup or delivery. Smoothie King, rule the day. My name is Dave Hanratty, and there will be no encore. Welcome to episode 256 of the No Encore Music Podcast. Every week on the Headstuff Podcast Network, my name, as already noted, is David Hanratty, and I'm joined by, I guess, fitting for this episode, one of my best friends. It's Aww. Craig Fitzpatrick. Right back at you, buddy. How are you? How are things? I'm kind of <laughs> at that stage of like, <laughs> is a vaccine ever coming? Is life ever changing? It's been one of those weeks. The snow is yeah. doing nothing to lift my spirits. I've realised now why, like, disaster movies always just end with the, oh, we found the vaccine, we found the antidote, and then it's like, uh, roll credits, happy ending. They never get into, like, the two years of fucking a vaccine rollout where everyone's like, uh, how's the admin going? Yeah, I'm, I'm frustrated this week, Dave. But enough about me. <laughs> Didn't even ask how he was doing, folks. He just decided to tell me. That's where we're at. That's the crux of our friendship. What friends are for. But you'll notice, Craig, on this friendship-themed episode that I said one of my best friends. Not my best friend, because how could you possibly define such a thing? And especially when I'm able to call on other friends, like, for example... Like who? Sonic Architect Adam. I'm back, baby! (laughs) 
<laughs> he's up? got a microphone. He's got a live mic. This could be the last episode. I don't know what's going to happen, but he's on board uh, to help us review our album this week, which is Foo Fighters and their 10th studio album. We said we were going to do it last week off mic as we shut down the recording and Adam threw his eyes and fists and hearts to the sky. He's got more than one heart for some reason. He's like, a cow with three stomachs but basically yeah <laughs> you were like oh, for fuck's sake man <laughs> but you said like like you were kind of upset about the prospect of us reviewing this mm. i think especially because you're not too happy about who produced this album and i said you know what we'll talk about it next week we'll get you on board and i guess you're here as well i mean you can jump into the news there is breaking news that your boy rick rubin has paid a thousand dollar fine after a covid violation that he did so i mean i know Was you're a big walking of- alone on a beach <laughs> i think we discussed that previously <laughs> So Adam Rick, is a huge I'm, fan of Rick Rubin. He's I'm here, like, I'm here to defend your him. absolute guru. Yeah, I'm here to defend him. <laughs> well, go, go ahead. Give, Take give the floor. Him, give him a fair shake. Rick Rubin is innocent. <laughs> He's an innocent man <laughs> in my eyes. He has done no oh, wrong. God. And the great he has done for the music community worldwide far outweighs the $1,000 fine for a COVID violation. Fair. That I'm sure he can readily afford. Yeah, but a uh, very earnest defense there, Adam. I hope those comments don't age like milk. You never know in the fucking music industry. These yeah, days I was, I was seeing that as a hashtag and panicking. I, uh, yeah. I, I <laughs> Rick Rubin innocent. So I, can, I can swiftly move it out. <laughs> I can uncancel myself. <laughs> well, it's uh, it's top five friendship songs this week. Songs about friendship alongside the Foo Fighters review because it's Valentine's week, so we're in the mood for love. And I guess Dave Grohl has a certain niceness to him, some kind of reputation. So we thought, let's smash all those elements together and we'll come up with top five songs about friendship. But uh, I should note before we progress with the show, um, patreon.com slash noencore if you want to help out this little show that could. People have been doing so. We've had a good few signups this week, which is very nice. Uh, off the back of our exclusive monthly Patreon recommends thing. I was going to call it No Encore Recommends. Craig came up with a better title for it, No Ox Chord. The first episode is out now exclusively for patrons, and it sounds a bit like this. Oh, I just put this on. This isn't on your playlist either. I just think it's a little bit early for that. Not for me. I've never quite gotten to full grasp with Joey Badass. Um, I, you know, obviously an interesting presence. He's really good when I've seen him, like, on Mr. Robot, like, when, when he's in oh, that yeah, show. Oh, yeah, Have you seen Mr. Robot? No, you've recommended it before, though. It's a very good show. Here's how good the show is. Rami Malek is very good in it. Wow. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, the that's the greatest kind show of, of all time. <laughs> I swear to God, he is, I mean, what a terrible actor. What the fuck? An Academy Award winning actor. Like, so bad. But he's great Mr. Robot, to be fair to him. <laughs> Um, he's he's shocking bad. Have you ever seen that um that, that that bizarre YouTube clip of him talking about how much he loves hotels? Oh yes, yeah. The advert it's, where he's listing it's, it's, things it's, he loves. It's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. Like I love my mom and I love writing to people. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I love letters. the Monterey Bay Hotel. <laughs> it's like what the fuck is this? Just one minute there of, uh, I think, an hour-long episode in which Craig and I recommend new music and I go off on a tangent about things I don't like. And of course, leave it to me to put this clip together and go full self-indulgent and pick out a clip of me doing a hilarious impression. I thought it was fun. I enjoyed it. People have as well. Patreon.com slash noencore for bonus episodes of this nature. And of course, the warm and fuzzy feeling of being our friend. I probably should take that back. That sounds like a weird kind of manipulative lure, doesn't it? Pay me to be my friend. Craig, this is where you take the microphone and stop me from talking for a while. Hey, it's capitalism, baby. 
Um, yeah, but we should everything. We, we should point. Well, you know, I am in advertising. We should point out that it's it's not predominantly film based chat. Um, that was just one of the highlights. But yeah, it was it was good. It was a nice casual Saturday record. I was in tracksuit bottoms for the first time ever on the mic. I think that lent something to the conversation. Did you feel that presence of the the nylon? But below my microphone, Dave, as we recorded. Thankfully not, no. I was able to not picture or hear any of that for the entire recording. You're doing Adam a great did. job here. I could tell great job selling this. Yeah, <laughs> like, it actually influenced the edit greatly. I just put that little nylon sheen in there for you, Craig, just to really go. capture the mood. But yeah, one last push though. Patreon.com slash noencore if you want to get access to that. There's lots more stuff coming. We're working on stuff behind the scenes in the background for the main feed and beyond. Hoping to bring back the track by track pretty soon. And there's even a brand new kind of spin-off thing coming that we're working on right now. We won't say what it is just yet, but stay tuned. Tell your friends about noencore. We love you very, very much. Uh, I guess straight into the news then. Breaking news, top story this week, of course. Craig apparently spent an hour listening to Crocodile Rock by Elton John without realising. Now, you know, I I'm not having, myself today. I, I feel like no one's having a great week, but are you all right? <sighs> Listen, I've, <laughs> I'm not great, to be honest, <laughs> as you could tell from the preamble. Um, I've got a bunch of jazz albums that are stuck in that loan, Dave. That's the first point, right? Because of Brexit, I believe. So I can't be fully pretentious and like stick on some vinyl and mellow out to some jazz. So I think like midweek, I was I was done with Foo Fighters. No spoilers for the album. Um, but I was like, Do you know slight what? I need to <laughs> slight, slight spoilers for Massive the album. spoilers for the album. There, I, I was right. like, Do you know, I need to get into something a little bit new. And to be honest, I've never really gotten into Elton John. So I was like, Cool, I'll stick on a playlist. Had it on like one track repeat. Was so busy in work, I didn't realize Crocodile Rock was just playing and playing and playing. And you know what? It was my highlight of the week so far. <laughs> it was fantastic. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, like nothing says new like a song from I'm going to 1972. I looked up just in time. Perfect. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, Still fresh as the day it was released. I feel, you know what? That's like about the best of my listening this week, the past week. I ju- I've been listening to a lot of like talk sport lately. We, we spoke before about how I occasionally have to stick on pretty, like, Brexit-y um, new sports radio station talk sport now and again. I'm really all in, to be honest. It's, it's getting to be a problem. Once again, Dave asks, are you okay? <laughs> <laughs> I'm making a sting out of that, so like, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, there's been lots of football on, which has been great, right? So, we've had, like, midweek evening games. And usually what happens is that, like, I'm, I don't know, prepping for this podcast or something. I'm ready to go for, like, my run at about, say, half nine, close to ten-ish, just as, like, the match is kind of wrapping up. So when I go out for a run, I'm like, I still want to listen to what's happening, so I'll stick on TalkSport. There's, like, broadcasting the match. The problem then is that, like, once it's done, you're into, like, Andy Goldstein's sports bar, which is just, like, very banterish, very laddish, interspersed with ads about, like... Obviously, Valentine's Day coming up, just kind of Viagra stuff, white van man kind of ads. Um, <laughs> last week when Captain Tom passed away, you know, the, the gentleman who did laps of his garden for the NHS, they renamed the sports bar show Captain Sir Thomas More Sports Bar, unironically. Okay. Um, this I is what like, I'm listening to. I was about to say, like, 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 amazing audio here of a man unraveling before me. So this is the new section, though. Craig mentions football. There's lots of football, but there's also been American football. There was the Super Bowl. 
and the weekend was the halftime entertainment. I only watched the performance half an hour before the show, four days later. Uh, what did you think of it? I was kind of underwhelmed. Uh, watched it with my sister the day after and we kind of just picked apart what we thought was wrong with it. And I think it came down to like it was pretty impressive. But the weekend, he's kind of lacking something a bit. Like he doesn't quite have that like mega star quality. The charisma. The songs were fine. I thought it was really poorly mixed. And... Yeah, like we immediately then stuck on Prince back in whatever, 2007. And that's obviously an unfair kind of marker to hold him against. But it was just like night and day. Just the confidence levels. He looked like he was like, I just have to try and get through this. I I felt kind of nervous for him. Like he did a fine job, but it was... He's not on that kind of, you know, God tier really, is he in terms of performance? There's also a really, really weird thing where it's like, fair enough, like it's no Crocodile Rock, but like at the same time, (laughs) fair play to him for getting mileage out of Blinding Lights. That song came out... 14 months ago and it's still the biggest thing it's approaching 2 billion streams on Spotify I think and I mean fair play to him for making the I guess the 25,000 people who were there and the millions watching around the world wait 11 and a half minutes before he hits it Uh, what you got if you didn't see it was a medley of a lot of his biggest songs it's also coinciding with him releasing a greatest hits album called The Highlights which I did go back and listen to I used to be a huge weekend fan I still like him um, I feel like somewhere along the way he kind of got a bit spent. It's weird. He's a weird pop artist. He's a weird pop star because it was back in 2015 or so when Beauty Behind the Madness came out and Can't Feel My Face. He was openly doing interviews where he was saying, I want to be the biggest pop star in the world. I'm making this decision. I'm making this decision to, you know, kind of flash some blinding lights, so to speak. And then it kind of like some stuff hit for sure. And he became bigger. But then like he kind of plateaued a bit, certainly creatively, and he's still a big name, but, you know, didn't really feel like this kind of megastar. But Blinding Lights has kind of put him up there. I mean, like, being the solo artist on the Super Bowl halftime show is a huge deal, but I get what you're saying. Something's missing, and I don't quite know what it is. Adam, what do you think it is? Um, I'm not sure, but it's an interesting thing that he was coming out after the Beauty Behind the Madness and those interviews saying he wanted to be the biggest star in the world because... um. If I'm not mistaken, he was like notoriously difficult to interview and he'd like very rarely give an interview. Um, I remember listening to BBC Radio 1 at the time that he did a live lounge, I think. And even that was a huge get. And he, he had an interview with Clara Amfo afterwards because she'd just taken over from Fern Cotton. I think it was like her second day on the job or something like that as well. And he literally said two words and she was like, okay, that was the weekend (laughs) and just moved swiftly on. But like, yeah, I think, I don't know. I think there's just that little spark missing. There's something missing. He's not that likable, is he? Is that maybe it? (laughs) Is that harsh? Like it's the, like even for me, like Blinding Lights is undeniably the biggest song in the world and has been for probably the past 12 months. But like, it even there it still feels like there's something there's something missing for me and i don't know what it is craig uh when you when you and your sister were unpacking this kind of you know i guess jfk style what else did you come up with in terms of your bullet points i i, I would agree with you that he's not very likable um and in fairness like you know his lyrics have rubbed people the wrong way uh very kind of understandably i mean there are some stuff yeah, he's done for, for sure. example that that casafelstein track he appears on where he basically talks about uh fucking lesbian women straight which is horrendous uh mm. even though it's part of the thing and again like i mean like i bought into the bullshit like I, I bought into the kind of the mystery and the smoke around him a long time ago my favorite weekend songs 
are like the earlier stuff not to be all hipster dave but like stuff like wicked games and everything but even then i mean like it's very clear that you know he's playing this dark character yada yada clearly doesn't have a ton of respect for for the for the opposite sex um but that's his thing and it's a weird kind of cross blur when all of a sudden it's like well here's blinding lights and you know we got all these fucking tiktok videos of families dancing to it and stuff and i just like when he was doing that medley especially because he did actually throw in some older stuff like there was a bit of kind of uh has balloons glass table girls a bit of earned it which i think is an excellent song and i still can't believe it was fucking i still can't believe it, like like sam smith beat him to the oscar on it but then you know i'm just like no one knows these songs i'm, I'm, I'm like 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 most people who are watching this don't know any of these songs and they're like when is blinding lights going to be played so he's in a weird kind of depressing situation for someone who is you know multimillionaire i assume and a megastar but like i don't know there's just something really kind of sad about it or something i don't quite know what it is well it feels like what made him magic to begin with was that sense of mystery it was that he was part of the underground and he was pushing things forward and it seemed like he was kind of like don't really give a fuck i'm just kind of this elusive figure and that dark persona then kind of works but when he is unashamedly saying i want to be the biggest pop star in the world that immediately introduces a certain neediness and a certain kind of like I want to you know appeal to right right across the bows which jars with that character so you're in this weird no man's land of does he really want this does he want to be there and you see him perform and he's like he's not the world's greatest dancer he's like the guy that has been like producing stuff on his laptop he hasn't been like in the Mickey Mouse Club he's not the entertainer that a, a JT is or a Beyonce is that really came across for me on that kind of stage. I will say that I do pre- appreciate his not amazing dancing because it reminds me of my own not amazing dancing. He goes with his legs like he's stuck on the spot and I'm like, that's what I do. That's my move. Or at least it was fucking a long time ago. Um, but also, <laughs> I'm referring to the pandemic there. I'm not like 87. But also, uh, essentially, even if, even if I do feel it, but I mean, essentially, it's like, I like some of the choreography. I, I'm, I've never been mad about this whole like, you know, red suit, bandage face, bloodied thing. But like, having all those kind of dancers do the fucking like just that was a kind of a cool dystopian image i suppose and like i like the lights in their hands and stuff i despise the uh instant meme thing of him running around the 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 fucking corridor yeah my room that everyone was just like oh here's like us in 2021 you can, yeah, yeah oh you can keep all of those jokes <laughs> adam uh, wrap this one up for us um yeah you you talk about the image and like how you're not mad about the whole kind of like red suit bandage face thing like where like <sighs> That to me feels super forced, like even coming from the Starboy era, like there seems to be like this huge valley where he went from what he like the image of the guy who was um, on the cover of the beauty behind the madness and like that whole image to where he is now. It seems like he's just like a totally different person. And it's almost like, is he trying to synthesize that star quality? Oh, I, I'm not really sure. I feel like it's a bit try hard for me. Well, I mean, someone who maybe makes the Super Bowl thing look a little bit kind of smoother and easier, might be a bit of an easier pill to swallow for most of America, is Bruce Springsteen, who's been kind of potentially stitched up by the cops this week, Craig. What's happening over there? Yeah, I was glad to see this news change overnight because in the initial running order, we had the boss betrays us all. Uh, um, This has now changed to, or does he? So yeah, he (laughs) featured in um, Super Bowl some years ago where he was very smooth, even though he did a kind of crotch slide directly into the camera. He just styled that out so well, it was tremendous. He featured in this Super Bowl in an ad for Jeep, I believe, uh, where he talked about like America coming together and like meeting in the middle. And he very much did his kind of State of the Union address and kind of tried to usher in some healing uh, as he drove around in a car. And then, as you say, this news breaks where 
a couple of months ago, actually, he was arrested on suspicion of driving under the influence of alcohol in New Jersey. The boss was arrested in New Jersey. Um, the news has come out, though, that he, it seems like he might have been stitched up or, I don't know, maybe it was just... Well, I read was, one excerpt that seems to indicate that he apparently he was out in his motorbike. Apparently yeah. some fans saw him. And while he was sitting on it, while the engine was off, he wasn't driving. They were doing shots of tequila or something and they gave him one. He took it. Cops saw this happen. Yeah. As soon as he like started the engine and drove off, they pulled him over and busted him on the spot. And apparently, according to a local uh, Asbury Park newspaper out to defend their hero, where like he, he was not point like or 0.02 of the alcohol limit and like i think it's illegal at 0.08 so not even a quarter he was also yeah he was also in a, a national recreation area he's basically in a park where like i think the driving limit is like 15 miles an hour so it wasn't like he was you know on the freeway just, you know cruising down like in one of his songs like he seemed like he was in a pretty kind of restricted area as well it didn't seem like a recipe for utter disaster or sheer recklessness that you might imagine with a dui so I would give him very much the benefit of the doubt at the moment. Well, if it's sheer recklessness you're after, Craig, I've got some good news for you. You may or may not have noticed there was a story doing the rounds this week (laughs) centering around uh, a certain anarchic badass, according to the enemy. Phoebe Bridgers was on Saturday Night Live and she smashed a guitar, Craig, but barely put a dent in the thing. Instead, the internet broke. Here she is on CNN talking about it. You're in New York. You've just been on SNL and you gave amazing performance. But I, I really want to ask you about bashing your guitar to death um, in I Know the End, one of your signature new songs on Punisher. What was that all about? Uh, I've always wanted to do it. Um, and then when I mentioned it to the show, they were really excited and they built me this whole monitor that would like look like it was exploding even if i wasn't hitting it that hard um so so yeah just a bucket list so were you were you trying to kill the guitar or the monitor (laughs) i think both it it ended up kind of being like an axe to the monitor i feel like i did way more damage to their monitor than my guitar. <laughs> yeah, and uh, the the company of call uh, of course um Dan Electric that made your guitar said, "Hope you all had a smashing weekend." So obviously it it went quite uh, <laughs> quite far and wide. But look, you know, I've watched mostly dudes smash equipment, whether it's Keith Moon or Pete Townsend or you know, The Clash. It's very rare to see women doing that, isn't it? People have done it, but uh but I think that's kind of the point. It's like a you know, it's just so uh, p- people were saying it's derived or corny. And I'm like, well, yeah, it was derived and corny after the first time somebody did it. That's the whole that's the whole point. <laughs> but it made you feel good, right? Oh, yeah. It was very fun. She okay. had her fun. <laughs> she had her fun. And that's all that matters. So here's the thing, right? Uh, I was kind of referencing a headline there on the NME, which was how guitar smashing badass Phoebe Bridges is putting the anarchy back into music. And I saw that. And I, I I tweeted it out for like 0.5 seconds and then I just deleted it because I was like, nah. And I'm just like, it's the, it's, it's the ultimate Mad Max Fury Road, that's bait, like fucking gif there for you. Um, That was Phoebe Bridges in conversation on CNN with uh, Christiane Amanpour, which was, I, I love that kind of regalness. And it's not a million miles away from the infamous news night, James Blake, uh, Hell of Pain, Ambient Chillax interview that I love so much, but not quite there either. Um. Uh, we're talking about it, fair enough, you know, but like, I'm baffled that this is a thing. I'm baffled that this is discourse. This all kicked off. Um, 
Phoebe Bridger is an artist I, we like on this show. I like her quite a bit. You like her a little bit. We talked about her extensively on our end of year episodes alongside uh, Zara Hedeman, who had a birthday this week, by the way. So happy, happy birthday, birthday, Zara. Zara. Congratulations to Zara, who is also not from Meath. That's debatable. But oh, it, it, what isn't debatable is how much she loves Phoebe Bridgers. Zara is a huge Phoebe Bridgers fan, of course. No, I can't commit to that. She will actually kill me. Zara hates Phoebe Bridgers. So Phoebe Bridgers is quite divisive. Uh, and I said this kind of, I think when I put up my top 20 albums of the year on Twitter or whatever, I said I sense a backlash is coming. And I guess it's kind of starting now. Um, for anyone who didn't see it, as the clip pointed out, Phoebe Bridges was the musical guest in Saturday Night Live, played two songs, and during the end of the second one, I know the end, which has a big fucking, you know, hoo-ha ending, uh, she smashed a guitar off a monitor that was rigged to spit out some fake pyro. She barely even smashed the guitar. It was very, very weak, let's be honest about it. I've seen better guitar smashes. But then the internet, Twitter specifically, just went crazy. Um, people started giving out about it, and it was like... On on one hand, you had people screaming Yaz Queen, and on the other hand, you had people being like, this was terrible, and then people just saying, well, you must hate women, why don't you just say that you hate women? And it's like, uh, I, I think you can say it's a shit guitar smash, and not... It was a be, shit guitar it, smash. It was a shit guitar it smash! Had nothing I love to do with gender whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. When I, when I saw the clip after seeing all of the Twitter discourse, I felt kind of bad, like it just it went on for so long that she was trying to work away... And it just was not happening. It was not coming apart. And it was just, it kind of felt a bit cringy. And, you know, to be honest, the kind of music she makes and the scene she comes from, like, it doesn't lend itself to guitar smashing. Very few few artists do actually pull it off well. I think actually it's totally kind of exhausted. I mean, you might have, it might have worked for like a Kurt Cobain back in the day when there's like a proper, like, rage filled performance. But overall, I've always thought it was kind of lame. Particularly like this kind of music, as I said, whether it's a Connor Oberst or like Arcade Fire have done it before, where it just feels kind of very attention seeking and um, premeditated. Like even, you know, the guitar brand tweeting nothing out. It feels like, you know, they collabed beforehand, which they did, obviously, and worked it out. And it's just like more. I'm OK with that, though. I'm okay I, with that. Yeah. I mean, like, like it is, as other people have pointed out, it's the entertainment industry. Like, I'm a Slipknot fan, you know? I go see their shows and they're highly choreographed and, like, there's lots of kind of rock star excess there. Um, I have no problem with someone smashing a guitar. Like, like I'm not like, I'm not like, oh my God, you could have fed a family with that. I'm like, it, like, it doesn't matter. Like, it's the artist who's performing. Especially, also, you're on Saturday Night Live. You want to generate some headlines. I don't blame her whatsoever. It just felt a bit awkward to me. And the fact that, like, the discourse then is, like, this one side of the other thing where I'm like, all it was was a lame guitar smash. Are we really, like, I mean, people are saying stuff like, I'll tell you who this woman is. She's the greatest artist of her generation and she can do what she, I'm like, what's happening? And then, of course, you have this hilarious, insane thing that played itself out immediately where David Crosby, notorious <laughs> this. Yeah. Twitter crank, uh, <laughs> quote tweeted some fan who asked him, what did you think of Phoebe Ridges smashing her guitar inside Night Live? And he just said... Pathetic. Pathetic. It's <laughs> incredible. And then to which she responded, "Little bitch, little bitch." Yeah. And, and then of he, course, he kept all going. Of the, all of the comments underneath were just like, "Oh, you've been destroyed, David Crosby. Who are you?" Blah blah blah. As if he cared. <laughs> but then she kept going, and she called him a whiny bitch. She's. Uh, but she keeps. But she. But that's because but she's, she's a, so savvy. She's a savvy. Twitter. She's you know a Twitter I mean? person. Yeah. You know. Yeah, she so. is. Her PR is impeccable. Incredible. It's you know. Yeah. It's just like. I like that album. I like her, but she's just everywhere at the moment. I feel the same about any act. Like, she's doing a tremendous job at self-promotion, but I'm very tired of it, disincluded. Okay. <laughs> we'll move on. <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> 
<laughs> Let's talk about lads who smash guitars, Craig. I believe you selected the next story. Yeah, the Cribs, who are not great at doing their own PR by <laughs> any stretch of the imagination. Um, they were involved in the enemy's um, weekly Does Rock and Roll Kill Brain Cells quiz, which we've used before on this show, which is, it comes up with some little gems. I think we talked about Johnny Burrell um, and it might have been the Matty Healy little squabble that came out of that or where he couldn't just remember stuff throughout his career. But yeah, they, they came up with this little anecdote about um, MySpace and the infamous co-founder Tom Anderson, um, MySpace Tom, being a huge Cribs fan back in the day and attempting to sign them at the height of their fame. So Gary was talking about this and he said he actually went as far as flying them to LA. He made a huge pitch. It was global takeover stuff and he wanted Ryan to teach him another number. Good choice of song on guitar. So we have a covert video of that. Apparently he says to him, if you sign to, my, sign to MySpace, I'll make it so that everybody who signs up is automatically friends with Tom and the Cribs, which feels like a very U2 move. U2 would have been all over that. But the Cribs, the Cribs thought, that's an awful idea. That's a way to make people hate you. And that's why the Cribs are pure and beautiful. Yeah, they're not wrong. When I read that, I was like, that's a very, very depressing sentence. And also, I, I, MySpace was sold for like $580 million or something. And I'm like... Did you get bang for your buck on that one? You probably did. I, I don't understand how how that would work. Like, such a defunct social network that no one ever uses anymore. Yeah. It was News Corp you- that bought it, so hopefully they got nothing out of it. <laughs> Me being a little <laughs> political there. <laughs> oh, we, well, we, we best move on. Uh, there's a story here about Jason Momoa learning bass, but I, I think that's the entire story. Uh, there's also a Prodigy documentary in the works. That's the entire story there as well. Good stuff happening, hopefully. Uh, but the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Craig, which I feel just perennially must exists be. and never <laughs> must be <laughs> this is just like it's so cyclical at this stage as it sure as the seasons change the rock and roll hall of fame will pop back up yeah, it's a quarterly quarterly edition in the no encore feed i think i'll just God. i'll just say that they've uh, they've long listed the nominees for the class of 2021 which include mary j blige kate bush devo foo fighters the go-go's iron maiden jay-z chaka khan carol king fella cootie ll cool j again new york dolls rage Jess Machine, Todd Rundgren, Tina Turner, and Dion Warwick, another Twitter legend. I guess we, I threw that in there because it had a Foo Fighters reference and I was going to cue that into the record, but then you actually found a more wholesome Foo Fighters story for us this week. Yeah, so Dave Grohl has, of course, been doing the rounds, um, talking about everything except for the new album, pretty much. Um, he does have a lot of good anecdotes, but he was on BBC Breakfast and they were talking about like homeschooling during the pandemic. He is a, a father, a loving father. Um, so he's basically saying, listen, I'm not great with anything academic. Um, the kids don't ask me about that stuff. They've seen my report cards. So then he was kind of cajoled into offering some musical inspiration to the viewing children of Britain by naming three albums they should listen to. And his picks were The Beatles, <laughs> Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. And I'm going to stop you there for just a yeah. second. I was devastated to learn that it was this and not, in fact, Abbey Road because I would have liked for all the children to be hearing Bang Bang, Maxwell's, <laughs> Maxwell's Silver Hammer. Hammer. <laughs> Haunting number, haunting cheery number. And as yeah. she's getting ready to go, <laughs> comes on a door. Okay, go. Oh, yeah, God. he also suggested to any aspiring young drummers out there they should get their hands on ACDC's Back in Black, saying that is rock and roll drumming 101. And for his third and final pick, this was him very much like, we're talking about good PR, him, him getting back to the album, which they've talked a lot about being kind of disco influenced. 
he picked Saturday Night Fever, the soundtrack to Saturday Night Fever. <laughs> yes, he said, I do Dave. like to dance. I mean, come on. <laughs> Absolutely incredible work there by Dave Grohl. Of course he likes disco. Every, any sensible musician likes disco. Get some, get some cocaine music into you there, kids. All right, before we get into this apparent Foo Fighters disco record, spoiler, it kind of isn't, uh, there's another <laughs> podcast you can listen to if you don't like to listen to this one, although you're still here, I hope. So uh, last couple of weeks, you know, Heads of Podcast Network Plug has been about a food podcast, so let's keep that going. But this is one with more of an international flavour. Spice Bags is a podcast about food in Ireland from an international perspective. Hi, I'm May. I'm an American food writer, and I'm with my friends Blanca, a chef from Spain, and Dee, an Irish food editrix. And we are the Spice Bags, three sassy ladies with a lot to dish up. Join us for the chats. That's the podcast out of the way. Not this podcast, though. Yes, we've an album review. This one will continue, yeah, for sure. (laughs) Um, I mean, I I, I was going to make some crap gag about having too much food and having to take medicine, but it doesn't make any sense. So let's just talk about the fucking album. This is the Foo Fighters. It's called Medicine at Midnight, and this song is called Shame Shame. Shame on our beautiful game. But who is to blame for such lukewarm terrain? Dave Grohl has said that that song in particular is unlike anything Foo Fighters have ever done before, and that the song allowed them to move into another territory with the sound on this new album, Medicine at Midnight, which is their 10th record. Craig Fitzpatrick, 10 albums in. Who are the Foo Fighters? (laughs) The Foo Fighters, David, are a band um, from Washington, I guess, because that was where Dave Grohl was when he formed them. But I guess most of the members are kind of scattered. Most importantly, they're from America. They're like standard bearers of a kind of like hybrid heartland rock that is, you know, edgy in 21st century enough to nod to punk and hardcore and Dave Grohl's roots in like metal and smooth the edges of all of it. Uh, sorry, that was an unprofessional bit of colour commentary there in my dispassionate contextual speech. They started it as one-man band, um, a bit of a saving grace for Dave Grohl following the death of Kurt Cobain. I reckon the debut is like a really very fine example of like a self-written, performed album. Uh, took a lot of courage to kind of put himself out there. Um, catchy alt-rock with, you know, power-pop sensibilities. And the Cullen Shape saw them become a proper band. They added members. Uh, they also added, you know, some proper greatest hits to the set list. Um, the third album, There's Nothing Left to Lose, was kind of when I came on board as a teen. Uh, and for that reason, I think it's kind of a little slept on. Um, Stacked Actors is like a ferocious, like biting opener. It's really good. There's some great atmosphere to the whole thing. From there on, though, they really become the people's band, I guess. So from like all my life and one by one, um, they just kind of the big riffs take over the huge choruses built for stadiums and we've had five albums since then over nearly 20 years as you say 
And like they all come with kind of like vaguely interesting press releases, like not quite spins, but you know, there's the one that's like half rock, half acoustic. There's the one that like comes with a documentary where they kind of soak up different US cities and record there. There's the one where like they get back to basics and hop in like Dave's garage and all of this kind of stuff. There was the one where, you know, they there was a tribute to the Trapped Miners. Do you remember that? Because I think one of the miners wanted a Foo Fighters album on their iPod when they were trapped. This was very much like Senator Grohl um, or Congressman Grohl in action. And yeah, you get all this kind of spiel about them switching it up, like with a nice hook. And then you hit play and, uh, well, this is the latest iteration. Uh, it's taught, it's nine songs, it's 36 minutes. Um, Dave Grohl called it, called it fucking weird. Um, it was recorded in like a haunted house. Um, there was some weird stuff going on. It was influenced by David Bowie's Let's Dance, apparently. And yeah, I think this is kind of like, the talk around this seems to be a, a lowering of expectations because it's all about like, you know, we're having a little fun. It's kind of built for the road, but we can't go on the road. It's not ironic. And I don't know, are we like in ACDC territory here? Were you dancing to this, Dave, Adam? Well, hang on. ACDC is an interesting comparison because obviously we reviewed their last album, which could very well be yeah. their last album, uh, a couple of months ago, I suppose. And I, I wasn't crazy on it. I think you were slightly more into it than I was, but ultimately I was like, look, it's just very generic. But I mean, in fairness, I'll, I'll say this about the ACDC album. It had a, a kind of a valid reason to exist, right? It had a story. It had a, a nice kind of, you know, putting a bow on the act potentially. And there was an emotion there. Um, yeah. There was a story of recovery, of redemption, of kind of revitalization and writing a, like, like a final chapter and, you know, tributes and dedication. And even if the music itself was a bit stock, it felt like something that the fans could kind of point to and hold to and hold aloft. With this, I think if you're a Foo Fighters fan, obviously you're, you're on board. You're in, you're getting more of the same. It's, it's genre fiction, you know, it's like a detective novel. It's, it's the same thing I know I'm going to get and I'm happy to have new stuff on it. But no, um, <laughs> this, <laughs> this is terrible. Um, it's so, it's beyond generic. It's, it's, it's a complete lack of creative ideas. It's kind of sad, you know, like, I mean, it's genuinely more pathetic than The Weeknd, uh, in terms of if you want to get into that kind of spiel of like, and I don't necessarily find either The Weeknd or Dave Grohl pathetic, but Jesus, the well is dry. And it just feels like they've completely run out of things to say if they ever did. Uh, on a Sonic side, why is the production of Note here, Adam, and potentially a bum note? Yeah, so for this record and the last record, um, Concrete and Gold, they brought in Greg Kirsten as the producer on the record. And there was like, in the lead up to the last record, it was kind of, um, it was like a story that was being used as a PR push is like, oh, we've got Greg Kirsten on it and he didn't necessarily want to do it immediately, but I kept chasing him and then he decided that he would and um, it, it doesn't work. It just does mm -hmm. not work. I think that Foo Fighters um, are unfortunately sonically at the behest of whoever is sitting behind those boards and you can hear that as the albums move along. Like in the first record, you can hear that Dave is very much in his post Nirvana phase and you yeah. can in, in the color and the shape, then you've got, um, you've got Gil Norton, who's, uh, famed for working with Fra Francis Black and the Pixies, um, over the course of their career. And that album is a monster of a record. Like you hear the difference. It's crazy. 
it, it this it, there's a synergy between the um between the you know overarching figure in the room and the band um the same with wasting light with butch vig when butch vig comes back on board it just works it makes sense because it's what foo fighters should be technically if you look back on their track record like you've got um you got pat smear who was in the germs uh, a punk band um, from LA back in the in the 90s you've got uh, Dave who has the Nirvana sensibilities a grunge band uh, and he was in a band called Scream as well um, again all very heavy music you've got uh, Chris Shiflett who was touring in those kind of punk bands back in the day around the states um, and then you've got uh, Nate who came from Sunny Day Real Estate which they had their own kind of wall of sound type of thing going on too Um Taylor is just a he's just a sick drummer, but um, it, it just when it works, it works brilliantly in my opinion. It did not work in this in this facet, and I think one of the biggest problems, if not the biggest problem, is Greg Kirsten. I think any producer who's getting these songs delivered to them, like he's letting those pass the cutting room floor. These are it just sounds like a a bucket of diluted demos. <laughs> so yeah. he's um Greg Kirsten's like like when I when I hear his name I think Sia he's associated with Sia he, Adele Kelly he's a big yeah. pop guy yeah and and that's yeah. why like I I almost especially the way that this one starts on making a fire you have this very annoying na 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 kind of harmony vocal accompanying the choruses and this kind of like playful guitar and it's like oh okay they're going pop fair enough i mean you might as well it's your 10th album and then it just settles into a generic foo fighters album craig you're a fiend for the five listen test at what point did you get not just bored but i'm guessing a bit annoyed yeah it's most definitely toothless the first few listens i was like okay this is just dull kind of dull-minded like there's a a real lack of imagination in this stuff but it seemed you know it's all healthy and wholesome it's inoffensive at worst right but as the week wore on i really like this is actively destructive as a piece of music because this did my head in and uh, i I kept coming back to like dave Grohl being like a like a latter-day uh like comedic adam sandler right i kept thinking of the film grown-ups where like Sandler's playing like the embarrassing lame dad guy but actually we're kind of meant to buy into him being like way cooler back in the day and you'll show the youngsters and uh, yeah and you've got this vibe of just like the approach to mu- movie making is like an excuse for like all of his mates to go on a group holiday it feels like that's what Foo Fighters albums are now it's just grown-ups with like rock and here it's really clear it's just you know rock fan writing it's all the tropes that he knows so well recycled so lazily just kind of leaning into his collection it felt very dumbed down the riffs just aren't there i think that's the biggest the biggest shame really it's just like you expect foo fighters to deliver on the guitar rock front right that is what they are there for and they just do not they sound like they sound like they reminded me of like getting your first squire and learning your first few bar chords and then kind of going oh this riff sounds a bit like the hives kind of like it was that level of riffage it was just very very poor and right across it like it's just the writing is not there uh it sounds joyless um and when the kind of better references subside you're left with like you talk about that opening track that quite quickly was reminding me of um fly away lenny kravitz 
Uh, the closing track, which is just like really bleak, weirdly bleak, Love Dies Young, is the yeah. exact same tune as Bon Jovi's Have a Nice Day, which and, is somehow and, less trite of a sentiment. And the, and the guitar melody for Hurts Like Heaven by Coldplay. Am oh, I very only, much so. Am I the no, only one who heard that? Like, I thought I was, I thought I was going on. absolutely mental when I heard that. And occasionally, like, you know, the moments that kind of half work, like Shame Shame is passable, but it's just tame by Pixies, kind of, right? And there's some kind of interesting strings. When they try and get groove orientated, they just do, like, <laughs> really dad's blues rock stuff that's like, if you want a better version of this, just listen to Queens of the Stone Age or, like, Arctic Monkeys in desert rock mode. There's nothing it, here. It's just some actively horrible songs. Like, there are. Anyone in war is like a awful. Tom Brady rock song. Uh, yeah. I was going to say, I was going to say, I was going to say, like, uh, we're having too much fun with this now, but I was going to say that, like, it's genuinely hard to pick out the worst offender on here. Yeah. It's genuinely hard to pick out the most generic offender on here. And it, and, and it really is like, waiting on a war is, is genuine. It's, it's horrific. Um, and the lyrics, the way it moves, the way it speeds up at the end, Cloud Spotter, uh, no son of mine like Chasing which Birds which is the Lemmy tribute which is a horrible horrible Motorhead song they're, that's they're all saying, it is yeah it's no exactly that's that's what I actually have written down in my notes I said it sounds like <laughs> a crap take on Motorhead like, <laughs> yeah, because that's exactly what it is like it, it's like Waiting on a War Waiting on a War is one of the naffest single choices I've ever heard and like I'm sorry Craig I can't excuse you passing shame shame because shame shame indeed what were they thinking like <laughs> What were they thinking? It, do, like, it goes it, nowhere, but it's at least vaguely interesting. It's also, it's the lead single. Like, yeah, what? like, how did they do that? There's, there's there's no chorus. There's no chorus, for a start. It's like, <laughs> it's not even one, like, it's not just one of the most disappointing Foo Fighters singles that I've ever heard. It's, it's actually the most disappointing Foo Fighters single I've ever heard, but... It's the most disappointing <laughs> single I've heard in the last couple of years. Full stop. <laughs> yeah. It should be noted, by the way, what I played was the chorus, and there's no lift whatsoever. Look, this no, is this, there's this album. This album is nothing. Two out of ten. Give me your scores, Adam. Do you want to go for it? Uh, I've got a little bit of a. I've got a tick sheet to run down here real quick, so I'm just gonna. Okay. Do that. <laughs> I'm gonna go. It was you know this is maybe maybe and I like I have some affection for older Foo Fighters stuff, but this might be the worst album that we've I've had to review. On the, the show? course of the show. Yeah, I think so. It's a Jesus. 3 out of 10 for me. And it's just like, it's just, it made me sad, this album. Like, it really was just hedging bets, phoned in. There's no reason for them to exist at it's this depressing. point. First of all, I'll, 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 I'm going to have to go back to the archive. This can't be the worst, but it, but it, that's a very interesting Like, because I didn't, do you know what? Because it was so dull and nothing just kind of nothing and maddening that I couldn't it wasn't a Justin Bieber thing where the context around it was interesting I, you know there was kind of elements of it that you kind of pull apart with this it's just in it's, fairness I, I did best, say to you go on yeah, go, go on, on. No, I was I, gonna I, say I, that, like I, at best they're trying to just kind of add a few songs that'll be grist for the touring mill, just like bolster the set list. It's like not good enough to start or close, but maybe slot it in between a Queen cover and like when they get some kids on stage to play instruments in the middle third. That's oh, all sorry. this record this is, is. This is an album of go to the bar during this song. Yeah. Like, yeah. And also, I will say, I said to you last week off mic, I was like, oh, like he's going to be on the Late Late Show. So like we can tune into that and see if there's anything worth taking from that. I stuck on the Late Late Show for five minutes and all it was, of course, was Ryan Tolkien Ireland. Loves Ireland. Do you like Ireland? Come to yeah. Ireland. It's like, for fuck. And he's like, yeah, Ryan, Ireland's incredible. Being in Cork and staying in a castle. Yeah, yeah. Check uh, it out. It's horrendous. All right, Adam, run us down. 
like uh, uh where do i start where do i end like as as someone who would call themselves a Foo Fighters fan like it's a big thing for me and my friends we would like make an occasion out of it to go and like see them live and we've seen them I think five or six times at this point but like we because it's it's music we all kind of connected with together first and foremost and like I kind of feel bad for anyone who would be at that age now to try and connect to it because there's just nothing to connect over. It's like, it's, it's two dimensional. Like the guitars have no life and there's a huge element of the Foo Fighters that have been lost over the last two albums. Like I can't stress the Greg Kirsten point enough. Get Butch Vig back into that booth and like make some good music. L- listen to any of those songs on Waste and Light or the Color and the Shape and like the songwriting is better. The, the sonic nature of it is way better the mixing of it is way better Uh, the songwriting is extremely uninspired and it's like it just feels like it was something to do as opposed to an album with any direction or purpose as a fan it's a huge letdown in comparison to their other albums and quite frankly i listened to it more than one time because i had to two out of ten okay um if you enjoyed adam's soothing dulcet tones there and his insights into production stay tuned to the show anyway so essentially it's time now to pivot, though, to our weekly top five. Songs about friendship. We're going to try and get this back on board and get a bit of positivity going. Craig, what was your approach this week? Um, so, yeah, songs about friendship are otherwise kind of platonic love. I opened it up slightly, but no, like, real romance for Valentine's Day. Um, last year was, what, anti-love, so we're mellowing a bit. We're opening up a bit. I think it's kind of a neglected genre, for sure. Like, you don't have the kind of emotional drama or, like, extremities of romantic love um, as kind of songwriting fodder. So it's a tricky business. Should be the preserve of, like, really deft, astute writers unless you want to be totally mawkish. And, yeah, as I say, I opened it up uh, to friendship in different guises. Um, There's some sadness as well, some kind of needle in there because, you know, friendships are complex things. Um, five came to mind quite quickly for me, which was refreshing. And um, Jesus, fair play. yeah, yeah, and we'll we'll see how it goes. But I I was happy with this selection. How did you find it? I feel like upfront. I mean, I, I should probably warn the listener: this is not one of my best top fives. And I know that's like death radio or death podcasting. People are like, death well, radio, like death radio. I'm going to go and listen to you know, I don't know, spice you know, bags. Spice bags, yeah, uh, instead of this. But please stay, um, because, you know, as ever, we pour our heart and souls into this project. Patreon.com slash New Encore. But yeah, um, I found this tough because, first of all, you know, uh, there's not a lot. Like, like your yeah. interpretation could be, you know, like you, there's some songs I was like, oh, I'm really stretching if I throw that in. I'm really, like, you know, bending the rules here. And then you go and you look up, you know, the lists that are out there on various different websites just for some kind of backup or some general kind of, I guess, stuff to avoid or stuff that you might see that you might not otherwise have thought of. And it's kind of the same list everywhere. And it's just a bit like, I don't know if there's enough scope here for in terms of, I feel like music writers could probably do a bit better. And saying that, I think I could do a bit better. I've done my best I could with this. And in That's fairness, all we asked, Dave. Uh, th- there's definitely like a heaviness to this as well. So, I mean, there's a pattern here. And then there's also me being like, Jesus, Dave. But look, we'll, we'll do what we do, right? So who wants to go first? You? You should go first. Yeah, okay. All right. So my number five. Apparently there's zero romance in this one. Um, it's an ode to being outsiders together.
Yeah, that's Buddy Holly from Weezer. Um, nice chance to plug No Oxcord as well. Uh, Patreon.com forward slash Encore. I recommend show. Um, we had an extended kind of Weezer chat there. Um, whatever about the whole kind of contextual conversation about the modern Weezer, this is an undeniable belter. And it's a, it's a kind of clarion call for Misfits, I guess. It's really a kind of sweet, you know, the meek shall inherit the earth ode. Quite funny as well. It was the second signal from the band's debut album, uh, popularly known as the Blue Album. And yeah, like, I previously might have thought of it as kind of like a romantic thing just because it's boy-girl, but Rivers Como says, no, it was a, about a particular girl I knew. It's about my commitment to her and our kind of friendship, uh, my willingness to defend her. It's very platonic, not a romantic thing at all. Um it was one of these songs where it's like, it's probably still their biggest song. And then you hear these stories of like the band didn't like it. They thought it was too obvious. They had to be talked into recording it for the album um, by Rick Ocasek. Thank God they did because it's fantastic. But I just love that kind of, you know, idea of it glorifying the kind of things uh, you're mocked for. You know, they're looking like squares kind of, but actually they're you know, 50s movie stars, uh, rock and roll stars. And it's kind of that freeing thing of, you know, I don't care what they say about us anyway. There's a real camaraderie to it. There's a real kind of being part of a tribe thing. And I think at its best, rock and roll does that for people. Um, so it just works on every level for me. And of course, obviously the Spike Jones music video, everyone knows really well, just made it kind of immortal. But um, there's a real sweetness at the center of it. It's the first Weezer song I ever heard, and I remember uh, very, very vividly seeing the video on MTV or whatever it would have been uh, back in the 90s. And <laughs> yeah, it has, you know, the Happy Days references, and it's very, very well put together. I didn't know Spy Chance made it, actually. And I remember that being like its own kind of curio, and I thought it was a great song. I think it is a great song, but it didn't it didn't propel me forward for my, you know, like, like we again, no aux chord where we talk about our, I suppose, our differing attitudes towards this band. Um, yeah. It's sure. interesting because, like, I, I've, I've, I've always liked the song. I always have time for it. I think it's very feel good, and I guess it's a classic case of not really listening to lyrics because I wouldn't necessarily have called this out as a friendship tune. Yeah, it's it's interesting when you look at them that it really becomes that kind of like us against the world thing. Um, and I don't know, like anyone that kind of wasn't hugely unpopular in school kind of might have had that group and just you have those kind of confrontational moments. And there's yeah, I I don't know. It just kind of tapped into something that I thought was like. A strand of friendship that's definitely not looked at uh, a lot in songwriting. All right, number five for me. Let's get sad. Yay! Leaving that in. Without you, my friend, and I'll tell you all about it when I see you again. We've come a long way from where we began. Oh, I'll tell you all about it. When I see you again Yeah, those who live their life a quarter mile at a time will know what this is all about. Real ones will know. Me familia. But I guess it's about friends becoming family, isn't it? It is, of course, Charlie Puth and Wiz Khalifa with See You Again, taken from Fast and Furious 7. The song, of course, was dedicated to the late Paul Walker, who passed away before the film came out. And the ending of the film has a big montage sequence which celebrates the character and the actor. And not a dry eye in the house, Craig, if you're a fan of the Fast and the Furious series. Have you yeah. seen them? I don't know if you've seen them. I've seen maybe three of them. Um, 
Yeah, yeah. I, I kind of enjoyed them. I need to have a proper run through. Like, it took me a while to catch up with, say, Mission Impossible, where it kept getting more outlandish and knew what it was and kept getting better. I hear that's kind of what happens in the case of Fast and Furious, right? It becomes self-aware. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And, yeah, yeah, and yeah increasingly yeah. ridiculous. And it's a, it's, it's a silly franchise, but it's one that has just turned into an absolute gigantic moneymaker and has attracted a huge audience. And I have to imagine that this song, because this song is fucking huge, I don't even know if it's good. <laughs> is it good? <laughs> like, it's so over the top. And well like, constructed. I have it's... to imagine that this song has been played at funerals a lot. Oh, totally. Amer- funerals. Since I can imagine, you know, graduations. I can imagine kind of like high school kids being like, oh, heading off to college. This is our tune. Like, it's wor- it works for every occasion, I feel. Yeah, Charlie Puth, who's on it, did say before that uh, apparently the hook that he's on was written for Sam Smith, possibly. And... Puth apparently said, like, he felt that he wouldn't be on it, and he was like, I have to be on it. It's, you know, like, I sang from the heart. And apparently, if he's telling the truth, uh, he basically played hardball with the with the company, the fucking, uh, is it Universal, possibly? And just said, okay. like, you know, you're shooting this video next week, your film comes out a week after, I'm not going to let you have this unless I'm in it. And then they were like, "All right, fine." So yeah, oh, there you go. Good move. But it's like, yeah, it, it's 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 a really silly, over the top song, and like befitting of the franchise, I suppose. And I like, I remember seeing this uh, when it came out, and I'm telling you, man, it was like the ending of fucking Warrior, just like tough <laughs> lads in the cinema weeping. <laughs> like, um, Sometimes the song doesn't even have to be good. Like I remember, like last day of the Gale talked when I was like 14, and fucking we're in the local shop and stereophonics maybe tomorrow came on and we we're all like getting wistful of like yeah tomorrow we're heading home and it's oh my over. god <laughs> that is absolutely devastating for lots of reasons but yeah this one came to mind straight away because i'm like you know it's you know it's, it's it's about the celebration of friendship you know the the true the true moment when a friend becomes a family member and you then get to sing a fairly saccharine gigantic radio pop hit about it so uh, don't worry I, 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 I've got more on this vein to come why don't you Lovely. tell us your number four okay so having recently converted Dave I think I'm gonna try and convert the rest of you this is newer than Weezer but just as noisy That was Jeff Rosenstock there with you in Weird Cities, taken from We Cool from 2015, uh, which is an album well worth checking out, along with Worry, Post, No Dream, loads of his stuff. So yeah, a lot of Jeff Rosenstock's music is about, you know, suspended adolescence or kind of grappling with adulthood. And he talks a lot about watching, you know, friends settle down and go the conventional route while he, in this kind of instance, is like traveling constantly and trying to eke out a living as a musician. This is one of his kind of most infectious anthemic songs. He kind of goes from isolation, getting high alone to connecting remotely with his friends, which is very now. But uh, in this case, yeah, he's a musician. So he's talking about 
touring mates, uh, scene friends. He has the luxury of sticking on their albums and records to hear their voices, which I think is kind of like equally as relatable to all music fans, right? It's just that how powerful the connection is with artists we love, friends or no, which can, you know, end up being pretty heartbreaking. But um, this is one of those songs where it's like going along fine for about two minutes and you're loving it and then you realise the monster chorus hasn't even kicked in. It's just been pre-chorus. And then that clip we just heard kicks in. You're like, oh my God, it got even bigger and more massive and fantastic. And yeah, it's very, very cathartic. And I think it gets to some truth about friendships. It's great. Yeah. I mean, you made a playlist of Jeff Rosenstock for me there about a month ago, six weeks ago or so. And yeah. I think this is on it. Uh, it the is. first track that I heard, though, that you played was I'm Serious, I'm Sorry. And straight away, I was like, yeah, I'm in. This guy's great. Where has he been all my life? Um, look, listen, I mean, like, I, how often am I fucking prattling on about the extreme kind of raw emotion and just the aggressive nature of music, which I actually find to be quite beautiful. Uh, this is yeah. obviously completely up that street. I think this kind of stemmed as well from on our kind of Christmas episodes. We talked about the Touche More record from last year. And that's when you were like, I can't believe you don't listen to Jeff Rosenstock. And I was like, I don't Wasn't know who he is. Yeah. Uh, but no, <laughs> this is great. And in fairness, I think everything I've heard from him so far, which is still mostly that playlist, I've, I've kind of yet to venture off into his individual islands, but like, I, I I feel that bleeding through, that it's very clearly incredibly emotional stuff that he's saying and often very, very self-critical, but there does seem to be some kind of union there. There does seem to be some kind of communion there. And I could imagine myself like at a show with my friends, uh, very similar to some shows I would have gone to before. And it's like... <laughs> Just that very kind of specific type of vulnerability, I suppose, just e like flying out from the fucking stage and being reflected in the crowd. So not quite sad boy music, but uh, I don't know. <laughs> Thinking Getting man's there. sad boy music, perhaps. But <laughs> um, but uh, I'll keep it That's sad. My niche. I'll keep it sad for my number four. Please uh, do. And another song you could play at a funeral. I don't know what's happened to me this week, but here it is. <laughs> my thoughts big, I just can't define. Wish I could turn back the hands of time. Us in the six, shop for new clothes and kicks. You and me taking flicks, making hits, stages they receive you on. Still can't believe you're gonna give anything to hear half your breath. I know you're still living your life after death. Absolutely. Oh. Uh, keep that in, Adam. I want people to know how much I thought of that selection. Banger. Well, I mean, banger. this is the first song by Puff Daddy, now Diddy, I ever heard. Uh, it is, of course, I'll Be Missing You alongside Faith Evans and 112. It is, of course, a tribute to uh, Diddy's best friend, I believe, uh, the Notorious B.I.G., who was yeah. shot mm -hmm. dead in 1997. Um, so it was like... I'm hearing this not knowing any of the context when I'm like 12 or 13 and just kind of appreciating what it was. I don't even know if I knew um, the police or as they're now known Sting at the time, but <laughs> essentially um, I was just captivated by this. I think it's a beautiful, beautiful song. Not everyone did, though. I've read some of the kind of critical reception. Uh, Entertainment Weekly at the time gave it a grade of D uh, and described it as a maudlin tribute, uh, which I think was a bit mean. Uh, it Jesus. is, of course, His taking off. was killed. <laughs> I know, like, Jesus <laughs> Christ. What the hell? Um, have, a, have a bit of respect, guys. I know, on. yeah, no respect. Uh, it's, of course, based on a sample of Every Breath You Take by The Police, which, is that one of their more stocky songs? 
Is that the one that? Yeah, it, it's yeah, it's that is the creamy. one. This is the wedding it's song. Super isn't creepy. It? It's yeah, it's kind of famously in a, a song that a lot of couples pick for a wedding. But Sting's like, well, actually, it's about a stalker. Um, there's yeah, there's an interesting fact about this version as well, which I don't know if you're about to say. I it. think I know it, but you can go, go ahead. ahead. Uh, it's it's, oh. it's basically that like Sting gets two thousand dollars a day for a, a sample that he's not actually <laughs> on, right? Yeah, Puff Daddy didn't get permission for this sample and just put it out. <laughs> Fuck's sake. <laughs> the audacity. But that's why he's now a billionaire, I guess. But not only that, but like, um, essentially, yeah, so Sting gets 100% of the royalties, but Andy Summers, who's the guitarist, whose guitar is, that you're hearing there, he doesn't get anything for it. And uh. he was like, hello. Uh, he also said that he uh, didn't even know about it until he heard it on the radio. Apparently his kid was playing it or something. And then he was like, what the oh hell's going on here? But yeah, so like, Puff Daddy didn't go to, go to them and ask. Sting said, "I'll take all of Sting's that." Sting's a douche, <laughs> and even the fucking guitarist doesn't get anything for it. But uh, it's your classic tale, isn't it? It's your classic tale of like love and loss and best friends and an untimely demise. And I think it's great. I mean, I, I think it's it's it very very of the time, even without the kind of the sample riff. It feels extremely nineties. It feels extremely music video kind of generation. And it wasn't the Puff Daddy song that, like, I became obsessed with. That was Come With Me off the Godzilla soundtrack, which, of course, samples Did you Led get Zeppelin. For that sample? Yeah. <laughs> I assume he learned his lesson. But uh, <laughs> I think this is a touching tribute. Fuck Entertainment Weekly. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I prefer this to the original by far. Um, this oh, is in the same... It's a hell of a lot less creepy anyway, isn't it? It's a hell of a lot less creepy. <laughs> it does it's quite justice. touching. It's the same boat as, um, do you remember Ghetto Superstar? Praz mm. song? Great song, Which yeah. is Islands in the Stream, which I just obviously never listened to because it's just so hackneyed and overplayed. But that, yeah, Ghetto Superstar is amazing. This is great. And yeah, I remember exactly the VMAs when Sting performed with Puff Daddy. That was probably my first exposure as well. So yeah, big nostalgia vibes for Jeez, that. I hope you bought him a fucking drink afterwards. Jesus. <laughs> I'll take care of the tab. Like, come on. <laughs> All right. 2,000 quid a day. 2,000 quid a day the guy's making. You want to pay That can't be now. Is that still going on? Still two grand. I'm not going to lie. I didn't. Good work. I didn't, didn't crunch the updated 2021 numbers. Can I have your number Maybe three, Maybe next week though, we'll please, come back with, a, with an update. Sure. Yeah. Um, my number three is utterly serene, transcendent, and it's hiding some kind of bite as well. Yeah, that's Simon Garfunkel, the only living boy in New York, taken from their final record together, which was Bridge Over Troubled Water. Uh, Huge record for sure. And this is basically Paul Simon writing about art. Uh, He's referred to as Tom here because they started out apparently as Tom and Jerry. That was their initial act name. And it kind of deals with their enduring, if fraught, friendship. Uh, Probably a bit fraught at this stage. So the story goes that it was like a thinly veiled message for Art Garfunkel. um, Because Garfunkel had gone off to Mexico to act in some film. I think it was Catch-22. And like basically left Paul Simon being like, okay, we've got an album to deliver. Uh, I'm in New York, I'm writing the songs as I always do while you go and be a movie star. And it's weird because there is those kind of little passive aggressive kind of jabs. Like I get the news I need from the weather report. It's kind of like he feels out of the loop, a bit abandoned. 
probably feelings of like, you know, what will become of me? Is he destined to become a bigger star? So there's layers of like brilliance in a lot of kind of Simon's work that you can read a lot of kind of complexity into it. But it's just so like overwhelmingly beautiful and calm that you just generally take the like well wishes at face value. And there's like ultimately, I think, a kind of acceptance and a wish for like the very best for his his best friend at the time. Just a reassurance there. And like, I know your part will go fine. Let your honesty shine like it shines on me. They kind of need each other, even if it's an on off relationship. You know, they keep reuniting and they're just kind of like shackled together for all time. It's like a kind of Mick and Keith or Lennon McCartney thing. It's just like they're those two guys. It's quite a rock and roll friendship archetype. I was under the impression that they hated each other. Am I wrong? Certainly there's been like huge acrimony like over the decades and there's been periods where it's like maybe eight years where they don't speak. Um, I'm not sure what the current situation is, but it's just like, obviously there were like bosom buddies to begin with. At this point, things were coming apart, but there's a real sensitivity in it. I don't really know. I don't know what this kind of state of play is with the relationship, but um, yeah, every time I listen to this, I kind of disentangle myself from the aggro, I guess, and it just feels very generous and very warm and very friendly. Um, I should note, because obviously, like, for some reason now, probably most, like, I guess the most recent album, like Paul Simon and Vampire Weekend are kind of interlinked now to, yeah. to a little bit. Um, during the week, I was looking up, uh, I saw Young Lion by Vampire Weekend mentioned as like a possible friendship song. And I'm like, oh, is it? And so I went on to the greatest website of all time, Genius, which Genius. we love, you know, which is a great lyric and song meaning breakdown aggregator stuff and has some, you know, you, you could read it for days. But... Uh. Uh, it is my sad duty to inform you, Craig, that while I was reading a descriptor, uh, they went from describing them as Vampire Weekend to describing them as Vampy Weeks. Oh, oh dear. <laughs> that is not good. I couldn't believe oh, what I was seeing. Not work no. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I was just like, sorry, what? Like, what is this? I've never heard that before. It really upset me. BW, surely, no? Vampy Weeks. Vampy Ugh. Weeks. Oh, stop saying it. I know. It's horrendous. <laughs> it's awful. But look, this is what happens when you when you put yourself out there. And so at number three for me, another song about so death. What would you think of me now? So lucky, so strong, so proud. I never said thank you for that. And now I'll never have a chance. So that's Jimmy Eat World. The song is called Hear You Me. It's from their 2001 album Bleed American, uh, an album that I was fucking obsessed with at the time. And this actually ties in kind of strangely to Craig's first selection here, because this song is one of a few uh, tributes to uh, a pair of Weezer superfans, sisters named Mikkel and uh, Carly... Alan, yes it is, um, who tragically passed away in a car accident following a Weezer show in Colorado in 1997. The sisters were friends of the band and founded their official fan club on the band's urging. Um, and essentially, I think there's like a couple of Weezer songs about it. I think Weezer played a tribute show and uh, they're like, they're rather like very well known and regarded. Like they're regarded as like the biggest Weezer fans of all time. And it's a very, very sad story. Here You Me has been attributed as well as a tribute. Um, but ultimately, it's 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 a really interesting song because I recognize that it's incredibly 
over the top. It's incredibly almost cheesy. It's it's Jimmy Eat World. Jimmy Eat World don't really do subtlety, you know. I mean, I guess like certainly not over the course of the career that I kind of followed them on for a while. And back in 2001, like, I mean, I remember the first time I heard Bleed American and it just fucking blew me away. And so I just kind of, I really wanted to just devour everything I'd like associated with this band. And, you know, everyone's got their favorite Jimmy World song. For a lot of people, it's, it's the middle. Uh, but I was, I was listening to this on my fucking disc man, like at the time. And I remember this song <laughs> in particular. This was like, like this song satisfies that big acoustic song like on every record you know every kind of rock band record that we all have and i think you know it kind of transcends the idea of friendship it's very clearly you know something you could easily play uh, like on an occasion especially a potentially sad one but i don't know it just got me thinking it got me thinking this week about like this kind of music and these kind of touchstone bands and bands as well that like at a time that you would talk to your friends about you would like burn a fucking cd and you know try to instill your own kind of fandom towards somebody else and it got me thinking of being in school and kind of making friends that way and also sharing this and hearing stuff through other people and i just kind of associate some acts jimmy world being one of them with a certain time in my life and i think one of the reasons why i'll always kind of have a soft spot for this band is because they are such a heart on the sleeve act and like i myself for a very long time have been told that i wear my heart on my sleeve and sometimes it's almost been kind of accusatory it's almost been a like like a knock or at least i've kind of taken it that way and it's taken me a very long time and i'm still kind of dealing with that idea of myself and just kind of how i relate to the world and i'm very much like no hang on no 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 like, like that's okay like that's who i am that's just how i that's how I express myself. I wasn't always like that. And I don't know if it's necessarily a good or a bad thing. And I just think, I mean, it's funny because I think like this entire episode, like we've been kind of dancing around. Uh, I think we're all having a tough week. And I think that's kind of a general mm. thing in the world. And I get it. And the last thing I want to do is, is you know, kind of pretend I'm having some kind of unique experience that nobody else is. But uh, this week has been a really fucking hard one. And I'm struggling quite a bit. And I've just, I don't know, I, I just kind of, went into myself quite a bit and I went back to this album and I kind of did manage to kind of, I guess, experience kind of a rush of emotion, uh, a course, uh, like a, uh, uh, over the course of listening to it. And I went through even a love hate thing with this song. There was times when I was like, Jesus, it's, it's, it's really fucking silly. <laughs> like it's such a silly over the top song. It's so obvious. It's so on the nose. It has almost fucking Christmas bells in it, you know? But then I was just like, but no, for a time you thought this was the most beautiful thing you'd ever heard. Like, try and tap into that emotion. I mean, I don't know. I just, like, I kind of got lost in it. Like, I'm getting lost in this kind of passage now. I mean, like, when I said I had a top five this week that I didn't think really, really worked, it was one of my best. It's like, I don't even know if this one fits, but it fit for me this week because it's kind of dominated it in a way. And um, the whole heart in the sleeve thing is kind of where I landed on this. It's like, someone said to me... um, Earlier in the week, they asked if I was angry, and it was actually a very, very crushing thing to hear, um, because I don't think I am. I think it's just kind of a profound sadness and intense loneliness and a complete worthlessness is what I'm kind of feeling right now. And I know on this show, we talk about mental health, and you know, I know people come to the show for a good time, and I don't want to really fucking turn all the lights off here, but like, I did have moments listening to this album and actually of all things the middle a song i used to always kind of dismiss as being just this kind of like fun but generic enough chart banger and i found myself the other day just like 
bumping that one and I was like, no, hang on, like I can hear it. I can hear the frequency here. I can hear the, I can't see the light at the moment, but I can hear it. And the one thing that has actually kind of managed to drive me this week is music. And it was a strange kind of feeling to go back to this kind of stuff. And I have been thinking a lot about my friends and all that kind of stuff, but it's just weird. It's just a strange kind of like sensation, I think when you transport yourself back in time through music and when you also Mm. access emotions that you might not be able to say out loud, but fuck it, man, say it out loud. Well said. Another weird thing is that... well said at all. um, (laughs) No, it very much was. And um, Mm. hard on the sleeve, Dave, is a very, very good thing indeed. Another weird thing is that... Yeah, here, here. um, The Middle was the song I heard this week as well. It just randomly was on the radio and I had to look up who it was because I was enjoying it. I was like, oh, of course, Jimmy Eat World. Did you not know? That's a weird bit of synchronicity. They're kind of one of those bands that's always on the kind of periphery of my listening. So yeah, they're just... They're kind of in a group of bands that I could have kind of associated with but um yeah no this is a good choice um in terms of kind of sharing music with friends when you're younger i will say john in my technology class back in secondary uh you still owe me metallica's snm you never gave me that copy back (laughs) (laughs) i had to buy it again so i can't believe that's all i'll say on that one i can't believe that (laughs) that that secondary school craig was running around with metallica cds this is amazing oh yeah dude yeah it was you know dr dre nirvana metallica it was all happening. And then you the strokes came along. Eclectic though. even then. <laughs> still wearing a suit. Still wearing a suit. I had a tie on, but that was my school uniform. <laughs> all right. Um, let's get familial with this uh, haunting piece of Barack soul. experience pain. So many memories. There's nothing left to gain from remembering. Faces and worlds no one else will ever know. Oh man, I knew I could count on you to bring up the mood. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Classic I thought you were going to give out to me for, this, for being like, this is kind of family, not friendship. But I think it counts. It's uh, You Are My Sister. It's Anony and Boy George uh, on the Anthony and the Johnson song. The album being I'm a Bird Now. And yeah, I, I know it could be like Red is just that, you know, special kind of intimate feminine presence in your life I mean sisters true circumstance it doesn't have to be flesh and blood uh, certainly that record uh, which is an astounding piece of work deals a lot with finding yourself and being accepted by others uh, but yeah the sibling thing is strong from the get go it kind of nails that close kind of friction and unbreakable bond in a really nice way and it just comes back to how beautiful the music is right I know it was a big deal for Anani to have Boy George uh, sing on it and that's a tremendous performance on the chorus just really lands it lovely and the kind of the plain spoken lyrics so kind of tender time worn um and yeah it's a, it's a tearjerker for sure and Anony's voice i mean it's you know a mix of brian ferry and nina simone uh, i'm gonna have to go back to that full album when i'm strong enough to do so but i remember hearing it for the first time and it was just mind-blowing it was something completely other it was the culmination of Anony's work to that point you know um subcultures they've been a part of and you know um new york and you know from the cover it's just it's such a kind of encapsulation of a life of effort and this is just about those kind of supports and those friendships around you at really you know tough times 
Yeah, fittingly enough, it was a very, very good friend of mine who uh, recommended Anthony and the Johnsons to me back in the day. That album is a knockout. Like, it is so, so... Yeah. Uh, like, it just... it burrows into your fucking bones like few others and obviously um, almost everything Anani has done since has been more than worth paying attention to uh even like we had blind on the show a while ago hercules and love affair that track just one of yeah. the voices like one of the voices in fucking music and but yeah you're right it's like you know we talk all the time about mood music or whatever needing to kind of commit to something but i don't know i mean like, i think like like even even saying like oh it's kind of familial I guess like in, in, in delving into friendships and kind of what they really, really mean to you and what something as intimate as music can mean to you. Like it's all relationships, you know, like it's all, it's, yeah. it's all this incredibly close guarded stuff. And, you know, we are so fucking fragile as people that like, I think this is a, a form of communication that we're all kind of comfortable with, which can lead to genuine magic, uh, which is kind of what's going on as well in my number two selection here. So, uh, I mean, uh, it's been a while since he's been on the show, so you know, I feel like so I feel like it's, it's not stained. <laughs> it's <a> stained. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's Aaron Lewis featuring Fred. Dur- no, it's not. <laughs> Although, damn, I probably should have gone for that. No, no, uh, it's been some time. So uh, let's let's hear from from someone that we know very well, or rather, uh, here is a long fade out section from an album that we love. Very Make sure you speak up. Okay. What's your name? Ryan. Yo, hey, be quiet. What's your name? What do you do? What's your first memory? The first word I learned to say, or that I ever said. What's the most amazing thing you've ever witnessed? Alright, what three superpowers do you wish you So, that's a snippet there from the closing track on Frank Ocean's Blonde. The song is called Futura Free. And you're hearing a a bunch of kind of people talk in kind of a, I guess, a mock interview or a casual interview situation, including Frank's younger brother, Ryan Bro, who unfortunately passed away in an accident in 2020 at the age of 18, which kind of lends an extra layer of just sadness to this one. I mean, like... Blonde is a record. Uh, it's funny because like one of the Q and A episodes we did for the Patreon, we were asked to say one thing we don't like about Blonde because obviously we are diehard obsessives about that record. Um, but I just found it so intoxicating, especially when I reviewed it at the time when it came out, and even like that kind of uh, motif there, that kind of yeah. heavenly kind of dancing motif that's in that song and is, is there throughout the record. I could live in that, man. Like, honestly, if I could escape yeah. to a piece of music, I could go there. I think there's just so much kind of promise and weirdness that's going on and undercuts and underpins what he's doing so, so strongly. Um, and this really, really jumped out to me. This arrives at the end of a long record. It arrives at the end of a long song and a song in which Frank is, I guess, simultaneously saying fuck you to the haters while also, also kind of illustrating the importance of, you know, I guess the insecurities that we feel about what other people think about us. And that applies to friendships as well. There's a, a lyric in there where he says, um, like he's thinking back to 
when he used to drive a Lexus and says, oh, our friendship doesn't extend back that far. So I think he's referring to like new people in his life who may not be as close or may not know him as well. Uh, on Ivy, the second track on the record, he says, you ain't a kid no more. We'll never be those kids again. And here you get to listen to kids just talking amongst themselves and laughing and joking and not really talking about anything. It's that kind of having a conversation about nothing but a conversation about everything at the same time. The section itself as well, the work is on, is increasingly drowned in this kind of white noise and you almost can't hear everything. You kind of got to go to a website like Genius, All is Forgiven, and read the lyrics there (laughs) and just see what people are saying. And there's a moment where one of the guys... uh, is asked like he's asked what's the most amazing thing you've ever witnessed and he says friendship and how it controls the world and the other guy kind of laughs it off and asks him about superpowers instead that guy later on says best thing about being me is i got a nice set of friends and just you know i threw on blonde today for the first time in a while i know i'm shocked too it has actually been some months since i've done it start to finish and just getting to this one and just the kind of release that you have i think there's a lot going on in there um you know, I'm not above quoting myself on this show. I've done it before <laughs> and I'm going to do it again. Uh, I reviewed this for Drown and Sam when it came out and I, I I was kind of trying to sum it all up as best I could, which wasn't so great at all. But I said that like the record was about someone who's trying to figure out his place in the world as he moves forward, forward in life, ever mindful of what we leave behind, the things said and left unspoken, the good and the bad that comes with trying to make it all make sense and the sobering knowledge that we cannot go back. And it's that last bit that really jumps out to me when I hear this excerpt it just sounds like people who have their lives ahead of them it sounds like people who haven't been overwhelmed by the world yet and are just in this kind of stage of pure innocence where being with the people that you love and even you might not even know how much you love them just yet but you're there and you're in that conversation about nothing and i'm trying to apply that now to me all these years on in a time when none of us can fucking meet our friends and sit around and talk about nothing and just forget our troubles and I think the heaviness of that really, really punched through this week. And I just, everyone misses their friends. There's no one who doesn't, but I miss my fucking friends. And I desperately want for moments like these. I desperately want for that connection. And it's like I say, like kind of almost like with the Jimmy World one, it's it's interesting to kind of transplant yourself into this kind of world because it doesn't feel real. But then again, neither does this one right now. So thanks, Frank. Yeah, thank you, Frank. I can't believe I, you know, put so much into an artist that uses cars as a reference point for so much of his life. Like, he's really <laughs> talented. That Like, that kind of dude gets me interested. Uh, yeah, terrific choice. All right, mine number one. Um, I've said before that I've spent, like, most of my life trying to find music that's better than the Blue Nile albums. My ma would just play around the house when I was, like, an infant with little success. Um, some success but this is another case where um, a Devendra Banhart recommendation led me to this number one and then when I listened to it I was like oh yeah my ma loves this one standard here it is thunder don't go under the sheets lightning under a tree in the rain and snow I'll be When things get out of hand Running to me When it's more than you can say That is Joan Armitrading uh, with the song Willow uh, talking of brilliant voices with Anna Nee. Joan Armitrading. Uh, she was Caribbean born, raised in Birmingham. Um, not as up to speed in her as I should be. She's still releasing albums. Um, 
the last was a couple of years ago but I think you know we've had the kind of Sade revival I think it might be time for a Joan Armour trading one um, but yeah anyway this is all about like being a support for someone through thick and thin just even listening to it it just lifts you up um, it's a song of generosity like I'll be your willows an amazing statement it's just so devotional and the Devendra Banhart connection was he, he picked it as um did a pitchfork video of like the one song uh, he wishes he wrote and he said he, he thinks it's a perfect song um where you can't really categorize it and the lyrics feel exactly like the music does like even if you didn't speak the language you would know what it's about which i think makes total sense to me and it can kind of raise you to tears in a weird way so this is like the same category maybe for me as like a lean on me a bill withers or a you know carly's carly uh K- or carol king's um you've got a friend but i don't know maybe this is a new find for some listeners and it's it's my favorite of that ilk for sure but it's it's interesting because i think there's there's undercurrents there of like maybe there was something else going on there's a bit of something unrequited but it's just developed into this totally unconditional elemental um being there for someone um which is really interesting i think they've you know they've kind of moved beyond a place where they're just saying they'll kind of do anything for the person and yeah i think we all need that in our life i feel like without even communicating it we probably both this week tried to stray <laughs> away from like really obvious ones especially in terms of yeah. song titles as well just like you know friend 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 uh and again while looking through those lists as well i remember like seeing one of them that kept popping up was like, the rembrandts i'll be there for you from friends and it's funny because like on at least on at least one of the lists on at least one of the lists it literally just said theme tune from friends and i'm like oh at least name the band guys jesus lazy journalism terrible lazy journalism you wouldn't get it on this show let me tell you but here's the thing right um I was going to put Frank at number one, and then and then I was like, I really want to end this positively. I really want to end this upbeat, and I want to end it with. I think I know what you're you know go exactly for. what I'm going. There's no yeah. like, but, but the point is, but I was like, I want to end this with, with, with glowing love because I know it's going to get fucking heavy, and I hope you're still listening. And if you are, I love you. And here's what I say to you: I say the name of this song to you at my number one. I'm not ashamed to say. It always will stay this way My hat is off Won't you stand up and take a bow And if you threw a party Invited everyone you knew Well you would see The biggest gift would be for me And the car I mean, it had to be, right? Come on. It, yes. couldn't, it could not be, right? <laughs> so that is, of course. <laughs> that is thank you, for being, <laughs> thank you for being class. Thank you for being a friend by Andrew Gold, the late Andrew Gold, a very prolific yeah. songwriter. So prolific, he claims to have written this one in a matter of minutes. It was a throwaway thing. It later uh, went on to become the theme tune to The Golden Girls, of course. And I believe it was sung by Cynthia Fee there. And it's just stood the test of time, you know? A song from 1978, I believe, and it's been parodied it's been played at fucking the super bowl i think it's been played in all kinds of situations and it's just a simple sentiment done well and it's a gorgeous song that works on a lot of different levels and ultimately i wanted to end this top five by saying uh, adam shanahan craig fitzpatrick thank you for being my friend 
Oh, thank you, Dave. The pleasure is all ours. Thank you for being ours, yeah. I also like that you were, like, I'm going to clearly have to counter Craig picking some Joan Armatrade and bullshit, sad bullshit at his number one. I'm pretty sure I had the, uh, I, I, I think I had the sad bullshit quotient covered fairly sharply this week, don't worry. Big James Murphy missing out with uh, all my friends. That seemed like the hipster's choice, but I couldn't bring myself to pick it. Yeah, now in fairness. I, I was also expecting to see uh, For Those I Love, I Have a Love and It Never Fades in there somewhere. I thought it might have made the cut. Yeah, I mean. Just I, to get even heavier. I mean, again, <laughs> yeah. I, well, I mean, like that that was in like my, like that was in our top five at Christmas there. And it was like my number yeah. one song of last Talked year. I feel like it. it's too soon. Album coming out very soon. Whether I was announced there March 26th, get your vinyl pre-orders in. I've got mine. But uh, I have mine. As for El- you sense this all my friends again i just felt like it was just too obvious like it's a great song i love it it's probably their is the best maybe but like i love it i love it a lot but i just felt it was a bit too expected maybe so i shirked away from it nice good choice Thanks, and i'll get man. my vinyl as well just in case people are like well adam and dave said they, they've ordered <laughs> their vinyl i'll get one as well it's great <laughs> it might arrive in less than 18 months this time as well oh uh, Craig, i need my know. jazz albums from at loan what, yeah what's <laughs> happening there by the way like it's the jazz capital of ireland <laughs> famously yeah. it was delivered by um it was a really good deal it was like um seven it was like a kind of mystery box of really good jazz albums for like 20 quid but it's from Zavi in the UK it was sent here at the start of January after me ordering it in late November and I'm just getting constant updates saying it's an Athlone being sorted and I emailed them and they came back saying um, we do not have sufficient information about this package due to Brexit and I was like well what information do you need it's just jazz <laughs> It was a really good deal. I love it. It sounded like my dad. Um, okay, that was the show this week. It's patreon.com slash norncore if you want to support the show. It's top five songs by Friendship, Foo Fighters, done in the books. Adam Shanahan, how are you feeling? Um, I'm feeling very buoyed by the final pick there. I thought that was a really nice uh, way to bring it back around full circle. It was necessary, and, uh, yeah. It's a stomp. Yeah. Craig, it how are you great. feeling? It was so good. Uh I'm good. I'm good. That was a cathartic episode, I think. I'm, I feel a bit lighter as we close the show. Good stuff. I'm looking forward to this. This could be our most popular episode yet. Uh, probably not, but we'll see. Craig right. goes off on Foo Fires. <laughs> always good, always good. Okay. Craig on Talk Sport, yeah. My name is Dave Hanratty. This has been No Encore. There will be No Encore, and we're back next week. Bye-bye. This podcast is part of the Head Stuff Podcast Network. The order breakfast at the McDonald's drive-thru. Tell yourself you'll wait to eat it at work, but it smells way too good. So you eat it right there in the McDonald's parking lot meal. There's a meal for every morning at McDonald's. Right now, get any size iced coffee for 99 cents until 11 a.m. And pair it with your favorite breakfast sandwich or one of our tasty bakery treats. Price and participation may vary. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. McDonald's. I'm loving it. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.